Good morning. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for Easter, and we love this season. And God, would you, would you guide us through it? Would you open our minds and our hearts and use us as a church? We, we indeed pray for Glasgow and pray for these coming Saturdays particularly. You would go ahead of us, Lord. Make a way. Make us sharp and attentive, not sleepy, but ready to face the battle out there, Lord. We commit this morning to you. Would you speak to us through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Every now and again, somebody writes a book that's, in my opinion, more than just a book. Book gets written, you know, books get written all the time. The Christian world is, is just so prolific. And of course, the Bible is the final rule for faith and doctrine and all that. But every now and again, someone writes a book that I think every Christian should have. And as I look back over the years, some of the things that I've read, I think of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I think that's a book every Christian should believe, uh, should read. I, I think of the normal Christian life, Watchman Nee, an absolute life-changing book that everyone should have at some time. The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, fantastic book, can help you get through life, particularly in ministry, particularly if you're going to work in the church. And I think of this one here, The Seven Blessings of Passover by Stephen Munsey, just brought out a few years ago. And when I first heard this particular teaching that we're going to go through today, indeed we're going to do it every year, we're going to look at this subject every year because we need to, God tells us to, I was shocked. Shocked that you can spend like 20 years in a church and never hear or fully understand the true meaning of Easter and how I should participate in Easter. For a start, you know the Jewish feasts. They can be extremely confusing. They are for me. I'm sure they are for, your, for you too. There's so many of them. There's this feast and that feast. And as you start to look at those feasts, it becomes a, a complete tangle. And I could think, well, the whole, just, you know, dump the whole lot. Just throw the whole lot. All those Jewish feasts, well, that was just for them. And it's got nothing to do with me. But that's not true. Because in amongst all of that jumble, there are actually three specific times, three specific times of the year, three periods that God sets apart for all generations, that's you and me, for all generations who know Him, who believe in Him, there are three feasts that God says we should celebrate for all time. They are Passover, which became known in due course as Easter. There is the Feast of First Fruits, which became known in due course as Pentecost. And there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is celebrated in some countries on earth today, but not all. You know, America has Thanksgiving. That's, that's where that originated. These three feasts all point and remind us of different things. Passover reminds us of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. Pentecost is, is there to remind us of the Holy Ghost. Right? So you've got the, the Son and you've got the Spirit. These different feasts point to different things. Tabernacles points to the second coming. So every year, God intended that you would have a, a specific time that you set apart, that you focused on the Son. Passover. And we've been told to keep this as an everlasting ordinance for all generations to come. But that just has not happened. Easter took over. Easter is actually a, a, a pagan term. 
and I'll explain a little bit later how it got hijacked in the early years, in 325 actually. Next Sunday is New Year's Day in God's calendar. And that's important because, as you know, as you read Scripture, God has a major thing on times and dates and places and landmarks and altars and setting up stones of, of remembrance, etc., etc. And so New Year may not be that important to you, but I can tell you it has always been important to God. It's a focus point. And next Sunday is New Year's Day in God's calendar. That has never changed. And you can look at Easter, and I know we have our traditions. We'll all have come from different things that have come up at Easter. You know, from your background, you may have celebrated Easter this way or that way with chocolate and bunnies and goodness knows what. But let's ask one question this morning, simple question. Please listen right now, because this is important, really important. How does God say you should celebrate Easter? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does God himself say to me about next Sunday? Well, he says one thing extremely clearly. We celebrate Easter with an offering. I'm talking about finance. We celebrate Easter with what was called traditionally the Passover offering. That every year, we're not talking about tithes. We're not talking about our faith pledges where we exercise our faith. Those are are all year round things. But every year, those who believe in God, he told them to come before him with a, a, a special offering. Indeed, in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says that no one should come empty handed. No one should come before the Lord empty-handed. I fear that as the years go by, that standards slip so quick. Do you know if one dignitary, if one ruler from one country was visiting the king in another country, you know the custom. You bring a gift, right? They always would bring gifts, and they belong to the state. They don't belong to the king, actually. The king in any country, if they receive a gift, it stays in the palace. It stays as part of the commonwealth of that country. Barack Obama, recently I hear that Gordon Brown visited the White House. Do you know what they gave Gordon Brown? A box set of DVDs. I'm serious. A box set. I could have done that. Last week, Obama was once again with the Queen. Guess what she got? An iPod. I mean, if the Queen gets an iPod, what's God going to get? Huh? And, I mean, okay, I know it's tough in America and all that, but heavens above, have standards slipped or what? So God says that we are to come before him with an offering, and not just an offering, but an offering that should cost us something. In the book of Malachi, do you know what it says? You have rubbed me in this. An offering. God's talking to to, to the Jews at that point, but he's also talking to us. You have rubbed me in this, not just tithes in tithes and offerings. And do you know what? Please listen, folks, because this is a, I, I think it's a crucial thing for life to understand. And that's why I want to go back over it again this year. I've spent the last few days just studying up on this subject, and it kind of shocks me. All through the generations, people have tried to take the Passover offering off the church. Time, Constantine, in 325, gathered a council, and he said, right, let's remove the Passover offering. Having known the history 
of the Jews that every time they disestablished that once a year special offering, they got into trouble. Every time they removed that, something, you know, trouble would come upon them. They'd get invaded. They would be mastered, you know, by a foreign rule. And century after century, generation after generation, the devil has sought to get communion off us, right? To stick it here once a, once a week or something like that when it should be in your home every day. He's tried to get the Passover off. Things of power he tries to remove from the church, and that's us. And we are so foolish, like candy off a baby. It is to take these things from us. Once a year, God says, and this is a, a very important rule, come before me, and it's Easter, what we call Easter, it's Passover, and come before me with a special offering. And if you do, God states very clearly seven specific, very, very, you know, precious promises in Exodus chapter 23. Take a look at it. We're going to work through these one by one. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 1. And God has just established Passover at this point. And what he does is he's talking to the people and he says what he's going to do. And you can go home and study this in your own time. But he works through seven specific blessings to those who keep Passover. And the first one he says, see, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way. The release of an angel for those who bring in a Passover offering on Easter, a special gift before the Lord, something that costs you something. God gives an angel, a guardian angel. And just over the last few days, as I say, I've been shocked as I traveled through Scripture and looked at the Passover. Do you know what? Book after book. They celebrate Passover, angel. Celebrate Passover, angel. Person after person, character after character. You can, I haven't got the time to go into it this morning. But just look at one. Look at Joshua chapter 5. Let me show you someone, honor God at Passover and immediately receive the first promise, which is an angel to be in attendance over your life, to protect you and prosper you. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10 says this. Now the, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they what? Kept the Passover. Folks, Moses abolished the Passover. Can you believe that? He abolished the Passover. They leave Egypt. They go into the wilderness, and he, he, he stops the very feast. I don't know why he did that. Scripture doesn't say. Were the people complaining? Were the people moaning? Were the people putting pressure on him not to do that feast? Don't nag us about offerings. Don't go. What happened? I don't know. But Moses disestablished the Passover. How long did that cost him? 40 years. 40 years of poverty. 40 years with no protection. 40 years wandering because he disobeyed God over a simple thing. And Moses dies. And Joshua second in command for all that time. And I'm sure Joshua must have thought, do you know what, Moses? If I was you, I'd have a Passover. But whatever it was, Moses wouldn't do it. So Moses is dead. And this is the first point Joshua says, right, Passover offering. He reinstates it in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. And in verse 13, look what God does. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. The first thing that God does 
is release an angel and it is promised to us when we, when we make a sacrifice that costs us something each year at Passover. Okay? I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. I have. I, had an, I saw an angel once. It was a time of extreme stress and trouble in my life. There are several churches at the same time. And I was having difficulty and I couldn't sleep. And I was really anxious and I was lying in bed. And I remember I was just thinking, God, what do I do about this person? What do I do about that person? And I couldn't sleep. And as I lay there, boom, God opened my eyes. And I just, like, everything became incredibly dark. And I, 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 I was looking up into the, you know, huge amounts of space. And there stood the most gigantic angel, fully armed, you know, in full armor. And that thing was so big that I would have been not less than a speck of dust on his shoe. I thought, wow, what am I worried about? And that was the point that God wanted me to see. Do you know that it says there's war in the heavenlies, in the stratosphere above the earth? First heaven, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, right? Where the Lord dwells. This is where these things fight, literally. Okay, war in the heavenlies. And I could see one of those angels. Oh, there's angels, all right. And one of the ways that we release the hand of God, we see this favor come on our lives, is simply obeying Him. You need to bring in a Passover offering. Not an iPod. Not a DVD set. Something that costs you. Joshua did this, Gideon did this, Hezekiah did this. Peter was celebrating uh, Passover. It was Passover time in the book of Acts. When the angel came, remember, and the prison doors shook and out he walked. It's, it's incredible. You go to, 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 to event after event through scripture and you just suddenly see, my God keeps his promise. For those who keep their side, who bring in a costly offering, once a year remember the Son of God. I will release an angel over your life. That's not the only thing. There are many other promises. If you turn to Judges, second promise is that God will be an enemy to your enemies. He will destroy your enemies. In the book of Judges, we see Gideon. Gideon does the same thing. Book of Judges, chapter 6 and verse 17. In Judges 6, 17. The angels come and they, they, they visit Gideon. And it's Passover time, Easter time. 6.17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go, to, uh, go away until I bring you my offering and set it before you. See the attitude? Don't go away until I make an offering. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat from an epaph of flour and he made bread without yeast. Easter time, Passover time, bread without yeast. And you can follow that story through. Actually, you can turn to chapter 7. Judges 7. Gideon has just made an offering. He's brought it before the Lord. It was actually an offering in his time of, of bread, of flour. Uh, Judges chapter 7 and verse 13. Look at the result of that Passover offering. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent was overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the, the, the Midianites into your hands. 
I once heard uh, uh, someone preaching on that very scripture and they were mocking it and sort of making fun of it. <laughs> Be careful about mocking the Bible. And the, the, the person was laughing because they were saying, if you had a dream that a round loaf of bread, which is funny enough, came tumbling into a camp and destroyed the enemy, would you get the interpretation that that was the enemy being this? Would that be your interpretation? Because that was a very strange interpretation from a very strange dream. But it's easy to take a surface reading. You see, God was connecting the deliverance, the loaf, to the offering. He wants you to see, this man honored me at Passover. This man brought in a loaf. And I want him to know that the same offering I used to destroy the enemy you see, so easy to take a, a, a surface reading, but if you scratch below the surface, you'll start to see what God is saying to us. He wants to protect you. He wants to hold you, but so often even a simple thing like the tithe, we don't give. We fight against him. Remember the tithe was in the Garden of Eden as a form of protection. In, the, in Eden it was fruit. There was always that prohibition to keep you safe. So God could protect you, something to hold you close to him. And once a year, he puts an extra feast in there to keep you tight, to keep you near him, in case you start to wander. So, of course, we pay our tithes. And, of course, we make faith pledges and everything else. But this is completely different. It's major. So much so, I believe, as I say, the devil has sought to take this from the church again, and again, and again. The first promise is that an angel is released to those who bring in a Passover offering. The second is that he will destroy your enemies. And back to Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. And that is that God will prosper you. Exodus 23, 25. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. And he goes on in a moment, I will take away sickness from you. Folks, I can tell you from experience that there's two things that cause a disturbance in the body of Christ. There's two things that cause disturbance in a church like this. One is preaching the gospel, right? You preach the gospel and you can tell stories. You can lead up to your, you know, point where you're going to ask people to respond to Jesus. Do you know what? Again and again and again and again, this is what I've seen. You can tell a story and introduce it, but once you get to the clinch point, do you know what? Things start to move. People start to get uncomfortable. You find people cough, move. I'm not saying coughing's wrong. They get up. They'll get up and go to the toilet. Just walk out right at the moment where you're saying Turn from your sin and turn to... All of a sudden, somebody goes in their handbag. Nothing against handbags. But they go in their handbag. They turn around. They do, there's movement at the point where someone is coming under conviction, right? There's two things that you need to be very careful about getting distracted and being, you know, deluded over or, or pulled astray. The first is when the gospel is going out. Sit still. Pray for those around you that they don't run away from the conviction. And the second one is when you preach about money. Because the devil has done a fantastic job of causing Christians to be so suspicious about so suspicious about finances. It's incredible. Always thinking the worst. And I know there's abuses out there. Of course there's abuse. Abuse is everywhere. It's not going to run my life. 
the abuses of some guy here. There. It's not going to run my thinking. I'm going to live by this. Amen. Amen. No matter what other people do, that's their responsibility. They'll stand before God, but so will I. And I know that finances is very high on God's agenda. And I know that one way that he can keep me close is how? Through my wallet. Oh, believe me. Don't get all holy on me now. Right? Through your wallet. Through your money. Through your finances. Nothing changes. And God knew that right from Genesis and all the way through. And so many pastors back off this. They're frightened of it. The church begins to react. And people say, don't talk about money. I will talk about money till the day I die. You know why? Because tomorrow morning, you'll be going to work to earn money. Monday, choose, you go to college to get a degree, to get a good degree, to earn more money. And life gets so tired. I'm fed up of seeing Christians in poverty. Fed up of it. And so what does Constantine do? He takes away the Passover offering. The very thing the church needed. The very source of their blessing. He disestablishes it. And like sheep, stupid sheep, they just follow along. And you can't let that happen, you see. If he can stop your finances, he can stop you moving in so many ways. Crush you, oppress you. Amen? So true. Don't fall for it. I'm fed up of seeing Christians poor. I should be able to give more now than I've ever given. And those who don't want to hear about money, I challenge you. Where's your heart? Don't you care about what you give? Don't you want to give more? Do you? Absolutely. Therefore, I need my faith to be stirred. I need to understand these things. I want to be a channel of finances. Amen. In every way. And this is one of the blockages. God is a good God. A very good God who wants to use you as a channel into the kingdom. Amen. And in order to get that, some of these principles have to be established, re-established. So I just don't want to know that, you know, vaguely that I should make an offering at Passover. I want to know every detail of it. Right? Every detail of it. Where is it in Scripture? Where is this through history? Show me it so I can fully believe and fully have faith and bring an offering in that I mean. Right? So first, an angel will be released. That's the first promise. Secondly, he will destroy your enemies. Thirdly, God will prosper you. And fourthly, and this is beautiful, he will remove sickness from us. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1. I want you to find this in your Bibles because I want you to see it. 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 1. It's Hezekiah. Illumide referred to this in the all-night prayer meeting. 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord and they should keep the Passover. Once again, the nation was destroyed because previous kings had disestablished the Passover. Hezekiah comes to power and the first thing, just like Joshua, he did the right thing. He knew that they had taken away the, 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 the command of God, that the three feasts were not being kept. And he, he reestablishes that. And you know the story. Two Kings, chapter 20. Later, many years later, Hezekiah gets sick. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him and he says, Sorry, that's it. You're going to die. And what a wonderful thing it is when you are faced with a problem of any sort. Sickness, poverty, anxiety. What a wonderful thing it is to know that you have done the right thing. 
Nothing gives you more confidence than to be able to stand on the fact that you know you have obeyed God in A, B, C and to bring to him his own word, which is exactly what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah is being told he's going to die. 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and he was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed, O Lord, remember now, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and in wholehearted devotion. And Hezekiah was basically claiming the promise that I restored the Passover Moses lost it and Joshua restored it and you gave him victory in the promised land. Joshua entered where Moses failed. And I didn't make the same mistake, Lord. I brought in that offering at Easter. Now, Lord, see me. And what happened? God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says, go back and tell him. Now, let me tell you something. Hezekiah didn't have to get sick, did he? Hezekiah didn't have to get sick. But God can prove the point there, can't he? Why is that in my Bible? He was able to claim the promise of Passover. And once again, God illustrates the point to you in Gideon, in Joshua, in Peter, in prison, again and again and again, that this, he's he's, he's a covenant-keeping God, right? And if we keep our side of this, we don't have to figure out all the reasons why. I want to see it in Scripture, all right. We don't have to figure out all the knots and crosses. We just have to follow God closely. You don't want me to touch that tree? Fine, I won't touch the tree. Right? This is what the church does. God says, bring in a Passover offering. We need to to obey Him and bring that in. What happens if you do? An angel is released. He will destroy your enemies. God will prosper us. Bless your foot in water, He says. He will remove sickness. Point five. He will give you a long life. And again, that's right there in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 23. I will take away sickness from among you and none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. And I will give you a, a, a full life span, right? As, as he said, what was it to Abraham? You will live out all your days. And that he did in great health too. Sickly, God will increase your inheritance. He goes on to say that. You know, an inheritance is for this Life. If somebody dies, you don't have to wait until you die, right, to get an inheritance or to receive an inheritance, right? If, a, if someone has left you something and they die, you're intended to go and get that. Amen. And so Christ has already died and everything that he left. Do you know that, by the way, look at me a moment. Do you know the inheritance spoken of in Scripture? Most of it refers to this life, not the next. I know there's heaps about the next life, right? We're going to be in heaven forever. And we don't know a lot about that. The Bible doesn't say too much about that side of our inheritance. Do you know what the Bible says a lot about? Are you listening? Look at me. Important. Do you know what the Bible says a lot about? Your inheritance here. Here on earth. Kings and priests off the earth. Off the earth. On earth. Whilst you live. Right? This is the inheritance here and now. And we shy away from it. We get robbed by, by, by traditions that get taken off as good ones, godly ones. Right? The inheritance is for here and now. Many of you will have heard 
of, of a very famous individual called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They call him the, 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 the Prince of Preachers. And this, every time I think of this example, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Because this happening to anyone would be shocking. But this happening to Spurgeon is incredible. Spurgeon, I was going to say gets a phone call, but I didn't have a phone there. Spurgeon gets told that there's a lady who's dying. And she's called, would you go and see her? So Spurgeon travels up and it's a huge estate. But the lord of the manor is long dead. And the whole estate building is falling apart and he travels through the grounds and here's a hut. And someone leads him and in this hut, in a dark corner, is a woman on her deathbed. And Spurgeon sits down and he starts to talk to the lady about her life and she tells him her story. And as she's talking, he sees a plaque over her head, over the bed. And he starts to read it. And it says this. I, whoever the Lord of the manor was, leave all my earthly possessions, my estate, my animals, to this lady. And he said to the woman, can I just have a look at that? She said, yes, yes. And he looked at it and he said, what's this? And she said, I don't know, I can't read. She said, the Lord of the manor, before he died, he left me that. And she couldn't read. And she lived in a hovel whilst he had left her everything. Unable to see that. Unable to read it. And so it is with you, with me. God has left us the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Left us the world to rule and to reign. To, be, to, to bring in his kingdom. And to see that established here. And what do we do? We don't believe it. Talk about heaven all the time. Talk about the future. It's for here. It's for here and now. It's for this day and age. And I thank God for Stephen Munsey's book. Because I believe that it's a prophetic word to the end times church. That we will go back and get what is ours. You know, I got up one morning. I was going to the church in, 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 in Dublin. We were traveling in. And I, I got a word from the Lord about David going out and getting back what was stolen. Remember that? David, the enemy took stuff off him and David went out and got it back. And as I was traveling, I stopped. I got my notes out and I wrote down, I found the scripture in Samuel and I wrote down, David had to go out and get back that which was stolen. So we get to the church and we're in the morning prayer and my son comes in with his friend and they're both crying and one of them's got no shoes on. And I said, well, what, what's happened? They were held up by a gang, pulled them down, took my son's coat and took a guy called Derek Hans, took, took his runners, pulled his shoes off him. I was all wired up, you know. I don't mean wired up, you know what I mean. I said, right, <laughs> I've already had the word, already had the word today. When the devil takes from you, go get it. And I remember I, I, I unplugged myself and I said, right. And I started to run. And power can come on you, you know. I ran down that street. And the gang was, it was quite a bit away. But they could hear my feet. They could hear me coming. And the coat came off up in the air and they ran. And we got it back. And I tell you folks, you are a son of God, a child of the king. You have an inheritance for this life. Now walk into it.
Just simply obey these simple promises. Stop being so suspicious. You know, that will keep you poor for the rest of your life. We can all play that game. Right? Open your mind. Be open to him. Be open to this. Right? If you can't trust men, then trust the book. Bring in a Passover offering this Easter and make it something that costs you and lay it before the Lord. What does it matter? You know, that's what, that's what I often think. What does it matter? Who cares if I'm skint for a few weeks? Who cares? You're not going to lose anything, are you? And yet it's a doorway to a new day. The last promise, promise seven, is that God would watch over the coming year. Fantastic promise. He said he would drive the enemy out of your life in one year. Verse 29, I think it is. Exodus 23, 29. So, I'm a bit suspicious. <laughs> Have to be honest. I'm a bit cautious, especially regarding this church. Because you guys are the best givers that I've ever had the, the, the honor and pleasure of working with. And I would not, over my dead body, would you be abused. Let me tell you. And I told you last Easter, I was convinced that the Passover offering was for today. I could see the three feasts, you know, and I could see how they applied to all time. And I could see my responsibility. There was only one outstanding problem I had. And, and that was Jesus himself. I couldn't see him give his offering. And I searched for it, and so much so, I came down to the church here one afternoon and shut the place up. I just came inside, and I said, God, okay, but I've got to guard these people. And ain't nobody going to abuse them because they give great here. And so I just need one more thing. Where's your offering, Jesus? You were baptized. And so I get baptized. You follow the scriptures, so I follow the scriptures. You were the model for all of us to follow. But I cannot find. And I walked up and down in that kitchen outside, my Bible in my hand. I just said, God, please show me this. And if you do that, then this Sunday, I will tell the church to bring in a Passover offering. And as I walked up and down, boom, my eyes opened. And for the first time in my life, can you believe that? For the first time in my life, I realized it was Passover. It was Passover. And Jesus gave his life. That's costly. Jesus gave his life. He said that, didn't he? I give my life as an offering. Something that costs. And then I understood that it definitely applies to me. This is alive and kicking. And will be forever, God says. All time. We will remember what Christ did all time. So this is his offering. And what on earth is mine? And I challenge you, I challenge myself. Don't tip God. He's not a waiter. And next Sunday, when you bring in your offering, I hope you make it something that costs you. Really, really, really hurts. Because he's worth it, isn't he? You ever hear of when a, you know, a child dies or something and it's a, a company's fault or something like that and they go to court and there they are and the parents are waiting for a compensation deal, you know? And the judge walks out and the judge says, we've review, reviewed your case and it's a tragedy. Your, your child died and we're going to give you compensation. We've decided on 1,500 pounds for the life of your son. 
You know what the father probably does? You hear it all the time. Could I just have that check, please? Father walks up. Could I just have that? Keep it. Keep it. Because I don't want it. And when God says that we should bring it, I don't want to stir God up. Not like that. God the Father had his son on a cross for you and for me. And when I bring in an offering, it needs to be something that shows I understand the gravity of that, Father God. And I will not dishonor your son by treating this lightly or tritely or letting myself off the hook or fear or suspicion. I will honor the Lord who died for me. And when we do that, the promises are abundant. I just want to keep you safe. So next Sunday is Passover. And as part of the End Times Church, I encourage you to pray about it and to come before God with an offering. Amen?